Turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, and uh, we start in verse 1. And by the way, while you find that, let me tell you, um, I will not be here next week. I know, it's horrible. We're going to be out of town next week, but I want you to know that I take this super, super seriously. You know, you're a flock, I love you, and uh, I've, I've tried to establish trust with you so that you know uh, you're, I'll, I'll, if I can be here, I will be here. And if I will be here, I will have something fresh that you've not heard before. So, um, I'm always careful to keep that tr- sacred trust going. And also if I'm not going to be teaching, I'm going to have somebody up here. Who's a, who's a, a hoss, a slugger. You're going to have a slugger. And so, uh, I've very, um, uh, purposefully invited Kyle Jacobson, uh, to come and teach next week. Uh, who has heard Kyle, our junior high minister teach? Is the guy solid or what? You'll be surprised. He's this quiet guy. He never says a word in staff meeting. Never. Not once. Doesn't even clear his throat. Um, but, man, he's a V-shaped, throw a football, uh, tough guy, talking loud, and, and he'll blow you away. I'm telling you. Uh, if you want to see who's uh, handling the gospel with your junior high kids, come see this dude. He is a good guy and a good Bible teacher. I think you'll be very pleased. Um, so come next week. Don't blow it off just because uh, the idiot's gone. Let's start in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. This is God's word. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, and the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Let's pray one more time. Father, May the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, forgive me. And the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that what? Our flag was still there. So that's the illustration. Uh, Bombs. Repercussions felt. Rockets bursting through the air, lighting up the sky. And it is proof in the dark night that the flag, the American flag, is still flying. And the fact that the flag is still flying gives testimony to who is victor. All these signs point to who is is the winner, who is ruling and reigning. And that is precisely the concern of the writer of this letter to the Hebrews. Whoever the scripture writer was, I know that Ron Goss over there, it says something like Paul's epistle to the Hebrews, he's apostle to the Hebrews and all that stuff. Uh, Highly inconclusive. It it has some things that sound like the apostle Paul, but most things don't. Some things sound like John, some things don't. Uh, The writer of Hebrews is unknown. Uh, But whoever this writer is, 
he knew the struggles of his audience. He knew who they were. He knew them. You can, you can, you can see from the last few letters, uh, verses of the whole letter, um, he knew them, they knew him, they knew Timothy, and so on. He also knew their struggles. You can see that from chapter 10. He knew what they were going through. They were going through hard times. They were Jewish Christians. They were dispersed Jewish Christians. They had uh, blown out from Jerusalem, and um, they're living under pressure from the opposing religious community. They suffered persecution. They suffered uh, even loss of personal property, and uh, they were sent to prison, many of them. And, you know, there's some parallels to our culture, too, you know, under pressure from opposing religious community, uh, persecution. You may not suffer direct persecution, um, but uh, you suffer reproach, don't you? People think you're idiots. People widely vocalize it. I mean, they they make fun of Christians. Uh, uh, There's free speech except for stuff we say. And uh, so you suffer reproach. How about this? Uh, Have people plundered your personal possessions? Has anybody broken your house and plundered your personal possessions? No? Well, how about this? Do you pay taxes and wish it wouldn't pay for certain things? Well, I guess that's, that's called plundering. <laughs> um, I, none of you have been in prison for your faith, I'm sure, but, um, but my whole point is we can relate to this culture, and their biggest concern for these uh, dispersed Jewish Christians is that they're being tested in their confidence in the gospel and their faith. And so when we read this, um, the writer of Hebrews is really directing, a, he's, he's, he's um, addressing a real situation with real people going through real stuff. But he's also writing on another level. He's directing his uh, comments to us too. I mean, if you look at uh, verse, three, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. Is that you? Well, then he's writing to you too. Now, and that encompasses every believing man and woman. So what's the main idea of our passage? If you look at the, uh, above chapter 3 there, you'll see a publisher's note. Your publisher of your Bible translation will say something like, Jesus is greater than Moses, something like that. And that's true. He is greater than Moses. Yes, that's true. That is discussed in these six verses. Um, but, seven verses, um, but what's the main idea that we're supposed to pull away from here? I think it is this. Christ is the beginning and the end. Now, in case you're sitting there going, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it, the Alpha and the Omega, tell me something I don't know. (laughs) You know, why don't you give us something deep, you know, something I don't know already. Okay, well, let me make it deeper. Christ is the beginning and the end and the middle. That deeper? Let me tell you something. If you don't think that is, (laughs) if if you think that's a rudimentary thought, then you don't know much. Because, uh, and you better hold on tight, because the, the writer of Hebrews thinks it no small point. So let's go to the text. Chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, oh, actually, go, go to chapter 1, <laughs> verse 1, I should say. Go to chapter 1, verse 1. Listen to this. Beginning of the letter, he says, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, in other words, now, since Christ has come and fulfilled all prophecy... Uh, In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So do you see it? Do you see the trajectory of the redemptive story? We see that Jesus is moving in concert with his father. 
from before the creation of the world, right? Um, and the world is made through Jesus, uh, throughout human history, uh, and then having accomplished his substitutionary curse-bearing, this Jesus, and now dynamically ruling and reigning. That's this trajectory of redemption. Jesus is involved the whole way. The writer of Hebrews comes out of the gate. The treadmill's moving fast. Bam, we're on it. And uh, it's all about Jesus being the beginning and the end and the middle. The writer of Hebrews wants us to, to clench that in our hearts and, uh, f- and know the sufficiency of Jesus and have it affect not only our future hope, but our life in the present right now. So let's go to our first sermon point, which is this, consider Jesus. You see, I got that right from the text. Uh, look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Therefore, now you know we have to stop. Because it says, therefore, and you can't understand what's being said unless you know what went beforehand. So we've already looked at the beginning of the uh, letter, how it all starts and everything. Look at chapter 1, verse 8. Of the Son, God says, God the Father says, of Jesus, God the Father says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. There's any question that the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is God, there's your answer. Don't let anybody ever say, well, Jesus Christ was a prophet like all the other prophets, and Jesus Christ was only a good man, and Jesus Christ really didn't share the same essence as the Father. Not true. Heresy, run. Jesus is God, and God the Father calls Jesus God. Now look at chapter 2, verse 14. Um, Since... Therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, that's us. Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things. In other words, he became flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, and is the, that is the devil. Look at uh, verse 17. Therefore, Jesus had to be made like us in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, to mollify God's wrath, to take care of the sin debt, but to, but to ease God's wrath towards sin, to take it upon him own, his own self. And that brings us to the idea in, in chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, this Jesus who did that work, who was tempted, who is now reigning, therefore, brothers, you share in a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus. In other words... Don't be discouraged, y'all. Now, we can right away make an application. To consider Jesus in a gospel context is not some passing thing. Hmm, I'll consider Jesus like I consider something on a menu. Should I have this or should I have that? It's not like that kind of a consideration. It's when he says consider Jesus, he's saying make the basis of all your hope this Jesus in the now. And I think as Christians, we tend to go, well, Jesus is the beginning. I believe that. Uh, He died on the cross for my sins. Yay. And uh, Jesus is going to come again. Yay, things are going to be set all all, all right. And when I die, I'm going to be absent from the body. I'm going to be present with this Lord. And uh, yay. It's the middle part. And um, I'm telling you that the gospel, that, that, that this, that this uh, epistle writer is saying, consider Jesus. He's saying, make your focus of the gospel the, the, the central, central uh, part of your consciousness. All right, moving on to verse 2. This Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in God's house. All right, so let's talk about Moses, because there's a whole bunch of stuff about Moses in here. 
Now, the book of Hebrews has already established that Jesus is greater than an angel. And it makes a big point to do that. And, and um, you know, uh, in, in, uh, it, it's hard to describe, ladies and gentlemen, how important Moses was to uh, the Jew. And um, in the early church, angels were kind of elevated to this high place. There was, a great, there was always a great, in, in, in Jewish thought, a separation between this life and the next life, um, this life and the one to come. Also, a great separation between us and God and this mediatorial uh, idea, and angels were kind of uh, thought of really highly, and, and uh, the, the writer is addressing that, right? Now, he's talking about Moses. He's saying Jesus is greater than a created being like an angel, but now let's talk about Moses. And you, 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 know, you think, why Moses? Of all the Old Testament uh, redemptive players that could be brought into, into, into the conversation like Abraham or David, or Joshua, or Jacob. I mean, you've got these major uh, redemptive linchpins, but Moses is the one who's uh, got the focus on him. Why? Well, the significance of Moses to a Jew was gigantic uh, for a number of reasons, and here's some of them. Um, he was divinely chosen. You remember the story um, where he is uh, rescued as a baby, and he's brought into Pharaoh's household miraculously? That's a That's a that's very important. He was divinely uh, chosen. And then in his, in his ministry at, the, at a burning bush, he's divinely chosen. That meant a lot to a Jew. Um, also, uh, he was deliverer like none other. He delivered his people. He was used of God to deliver his people uh, from Egyptian captivity, all the dealings with Pharaoh and all that stuff. Uh, also, the parting of the Red Sea. Remember, Moses smacks a rock and water comes out and everybody gets, uh, uh, gets water. And so he's deliverer. So he's divinely chosen. He's deliverer. What else about Moses? Well, he's a prophet above all other prophets. Prophets in the Old Testament received the word of the Lord in various ways. What ways? I don't know what ways. But I do know what way Moses received prophecy from the word of the Lord, and so did the Jew. Face to face. He's the one who was handed Ten Commandments. He's the one who was in the presence of the Lord. He's the one who brought God's, God's law. That's why it's called the Mosaic Law. God gave it to Moses. And uh, Moses' face was radiant when he was in God's presence. I mean, that's unlike anybody else. How about this, too, that he's lawgiver, as we said? How about this, that he wrote the Pentateuch? You know what the Pentateuch is? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Five books of the Bible attributed to Moses. Also, in Numbers 12, it says that Moses was most humble, the most humble person ever. That's in the Bible. Now, that's just not, oh, he was a nice man. He was so quiet. He never yelled at his wife. He was the humble. That's not what it means. Do you remember when Miriam, his sister, and Aaron, they go, hey, why is he hogging all the credit? Moses. I mean, has God not spoken to us too? And get, you know, remember what happens? God says, you three right here, right now. Why are you, I'm paraphrasing, why are you sassing Moses? <laughs> uh, and, uh, I mean, God called Moses. God gave him authority. And he's saying, he's saying look, he's, he's my operative. But he's not lording it over them. He doesn't say, hey, you dummies, I'm God's operative. He doesn't do that. Uh, talk about somebody who's humble. Uh, that is, that is distinctly, divinely humble. 
All right, uh, divinely enabled humility. Uh, he's also an intercessor, a battle over the Amalekites, a pardon for his people, and so on. Uh, Moses intercedes. And if you want to flip real quick, uh, I'll tell you what, let me just get there real fast for time's sake. But in Exodus 33, check this out. In Exodus 33, oh, yeah. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up. And each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise and worship each at his tent door. You think that's a big deal? Moses, our guy, our intercessor, meeting with God, everybody sees it. So in short, you could say to the Jewish mind, Moses was the great apostle and high priest of the Old Testament. Now, I know you go, well, wait a second. Aaron, his brother, was a great high priest. Yeah, but, but who interceded ultimately? It was Moses. I mean, he, he really was in a priestly function too. He was a prof, in a prophet office. He was in a priest office. He was in a king office. Sounds kind of familiar. So he was the great apostle and high priest of the Old Testament to the Jewish mind. So what does it say in our text? Look at it. It says, therefore, brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. That's that's about Jesus Christ. Now read on. He was faithful to him who appointed him. That would be God the Father, just as Moses was also faithful in God's house. But listen, verse 3. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Come on, as much more glory than somebody who makes something has over the thing that's been made, is what it goes on to say. I mean, whoever is the creator has more authority than the thing that has been made, more glory than the thing that has been made. And uh, Moses was a faithful servant in verse 5, but Jesus, continuing on, uh, served as a son, not a servant. Moses was a servant. Jesus was a son. Now... I'm going to flip to one thing here. You don't have to turn, but this is in Deuteronomy 18. Listen to this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses talking. He's speaking the word of the Lord. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So even Moses knows that he's not the final guy. He knows that he's pointing forward to something, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, uh, guess what, uh, Jewish Christian? Uh, Jesus is superior to Moses. And how about this? Uh, Would you turn to the Gospel of John? Verse chapter 6, Gospel of John chapter 6. Verse, uh, oh, let's look at verse 30. So they said to Jesus, um, what sign do you do uh, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And uh, they say, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now listen, what they're saying is, is uh, Jesus, okay, uh, you make these uh, divine claims and stuff, and um, you know, back in the Old Testament there, uh, we got a sign from heaven, and that bread came down, and uh, it fed us. And uh, so uh, if you want to prove to us who you say you are, prove to us. Give us some kind of sign. Here's what Jesus says, verse 32. Jesus then said to them, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's talking about himself. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Now, do you think there's any question in Jesus' mind as to who he is, what he's come to accomplish, what his mission is? No. So, application for your life, ladies and gentlemen. Consider this Jesus. An enormous statement. Consider Jesus. But I'll tell you, in this life, it's often scary. And so I say to you, consider Jesus. And uh, to consider Jesus is basically a gospel rehearsal. It's not just, hmm, Jesus. It's a consideration of all that Jesus has accomplished, from dying for you to securing your future to your present hope now. Jesus is in the midst of it with you. Jesus is in this life. God does not cut his eye away from you because of what Jesus accomplished. And that's why when you go in that room, we sing the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel in its various forms, its various piecings together of words. When you come in here, you hear the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And if you, if you visit a place and you hear some preacher and you don't hear the gospel clearly articulated, you want to get out of there. Because what your heart wants to hear is the gospel presented to you again. Why? Not just to go, well, I got my all the information down. It's your present reality. It's your present help and hope in this life. All right. Next point. The household of faith. Also right from the passage. My sermon point here um, uh, is actually taken from uh, a, a term. You know, it's, it's not um, precisely in the passage, but it's, it's, taken, it's a term taken from Galatians 6.10, which says household of faith. That's where I got this. Uh, New Living Translation, and, uh, and another one says family of faith, and the NIV says family of believers. So that's very interesting to hear people grapple with how to, uh, how to render that. You have household of faith, um, and another translator uh, f- finds that family is a synonym. So household, family, uh, household of faith, family of believers, uh, that's the idea there. And you see that house in these, this short little passage in front of us today uh, is mentioned at least uh, a half a dozen times. And uh, yes, the illustration is of a building at some point, but there's also a richer idea to it, which is a family, which is um, a house. It's a people, God's house. His people were built basically in two stages, two apostolic ministries. You've got the ministry of Moses. You've got the overarching ministry of Jesus. And as we said, Jesus is as superior to Moses uh, as prophet, priest, and king, not to mention maker, uh, everything was made through him, son, and homeowner. So in short, Jesus is not just in the house. He's over the house. Now, friends, if I were to tell you, if, if I came in here and I said, hey, I would like you to worship an apostle, you'd, you'd go, uh-oh, something bad wrong is happening here, right? I want you to worship an apostle. Because the apostles themselves, uh, people would try to fall down in front of them. They go, no, 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 no don't do that. I'm, no, 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 I'm just a representative. I'm just one who was sent. Don't, don't fall down and worship me. And yet, the one spot, the only spot, where Jesus is called an apostle is right here. It's the only spot 
It's, uh, you know, here's a definition of an apostle. An apostle is one who is sent to represent God before men and to speak and act on his behalf. It says here, therefore, brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. So he's the one to represent um, God before men and to speak and act on God's behalf. He's also priest, so he intercedes uh, for us on the way up. And uh, so the idea of being an apostle carries this great authority of the sender. It's not just an office, but it carries the authority of the sender. And that's why, you know, the apostle Paul, when he would write his letters, he would so rigorously defend his apostolic authority, not because he was going, hey, I want some respect, but he was going, do you understand? I'm not working on my own. I've been sent as a representative of the Lord Jesus. That's my apostolic authority, so hear the word of the Lord. That was Paul's take on it. And what this is saying, ladies and gentlemen, is that uh, Jesus is the one who was sent. He has all the heavenly authority. Now, here's an application for you. Um, If you read the uh, Gospel of John, you'll see that um, over and over, I mean 10 times, uh, Jesus says, I was sent by the Father. I was sent, I was sent, I was sent. And it comes in other for, forms too. Uh, these aren't my words, they're the words the Father gave me. These aren't my uh, sheep, they're the sheep that God gave me. Um, Jesus is always saying, I'm sent to do the Father's work. Now, why does the Bible make such a big point uh, about making that clear? Why does that matter to you? Here's why it matters to you. Friends, Jesus left glory, came into this broken, fallen world full of problems and grossness and degradation and shame and humiliation and pain. He came into this world, left his glory, put upon, uh, took upon himself a human nature, lived a perfect human life, and laid that life down so that he could be the one who would be eligible to say, I'll take the punishment. I'll take the penalty for the sinner. Okay? What does that mean to you? It means when Jesus did all that, he came to get you. He didn't didn't come to just work out a math equation. He came to get you. You think about that. He died to win you. And I, I encourage you to let that roll around your heart and mind for a few days in prayer. All right, last point. Reason to hope. Look at verse 6, about halfway through it. Um, uh, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and here it is. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in the Lord. Now, that has frightened many an earnest soul. Because um, we're told that we are in God's house. Good. I'm in there. I'm saved. I'm in God's house. And the next thing it says is, well, yeah, if you hang on. And we go, that's not only frightening, but uh, does that... Is that tampering with the gospel message, or is that in concord with the gospel message? Does that mean i got to earn my favor with the Lord? Or has salvation been provided for me as a gift? Which is it? Well, you know, that, that idea can, can scare the crud out of you, I know. Um, you're in God's house, but hold fast. Um, here's the comfort. 
You know, in Philippians 1, 6, this may be familiar to you. It says this, I am sure of this. This is Paul writing here. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. All right, so that, that end time, uh, God began a good work in you, and he's going to carry it on to completion. Yay, that's Paul writing in, in Philippians 1. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 2. Work out your own salvation with trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's no contradiction there. Basically, the Bible is saying, listen, God has given you the gift of salvation. And if you make it anything but a free gift, you have, you have distorted it, and it's no gospel at all. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. Now cooperate with God as he works in your life. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. Now cooperate with God. You know, um, aging myself horribly, but the Flintstones, you remember the Flintstones? I've got a piece of Flintstone trivia that I've never, ever in my life had one person know the answer to. Fred and Barney, it's a cartoon, 70s cartoon, 60s cartoon. Fred and Barney were members of the Water Buffalo Lodge, all right? So that, and they wore these, like, st- stupid hats, and they'd go, and they'd hang out with other guys at the Water Buffalo Lodge. Do you, does anybody know the password at the door of the Water Buffalo Lodge? Raise your hand if you know. No one, I've, no one in my life has ever known that. I'll tell you, tell you what it is. No, good guess. Ack, ack, a dack, 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 a ack. And I, I remember that from reruns. I mean, they were already in reruns when I was a child. Um, but they were members, yet they had to cooperate with their membership. And uh, that's, a, that's a loose illustration. But for us, ladies and gentlemen... Um, let me, let me try to put it in a theological let me try to put it in a theological statement for you. The believer's security is established. You got it? You believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone? The believer's security is established. The believer's perseverance is mandatory. And what it comes down to this. Are you really saved or you're not really saved? That's what it comes down to. Are you really in the household of faith? I mean, people would look at David six, seven, eight months into his idolatrous relationship with Bathsheba. Oh, yeah, I forgot about murder. And you'd go, well, I don't know about that guy. But what happens is uh, God doesn't let his children go. And even when they blow it horribly, uh, he still doesn't take his hand off of them. And so the question is, is, are you a believer? If you're truly a believer, you will persevere. And that's your great comfort. If you're a believer, you will persevere. God won't let you go. All right, let's close. Um, I uh, had the opportunity. Is, is Craig Daniel in here? All right, well, I had the opportunity to go up in a simulator, flight simulator with Craig Daniel. Tim Morgan was in there too. Hello. Dennis Craig. I, you know, I always confuse you with uh, James Bond. I can never get your name right. I do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we go up in this flight. Thank you. We go up in this flight simulator, and uh, it's unbelievable. Who has been in a flight simulator? Well, is it not unbelievable? 
It's it's more more James Bond, by the way. You, you you go to some strange building and it's real modern, technological, and and then you go out into this big room and there's like these mesh gang planks, and you walk across this bank gang plank, and they have these these big white. High-tech-looking, NASA-looking things about the size of a UPS truck. They're white, and they're up on hydraulics. And you go across the gangplank, you go in there, and it looks just like the plane that, that it's simulating. Just like it. All the controls, the cockpit, the everything, all the stuff, the seat, everything. Everything. Peanuts, the whole thing. Just like a plane. And then the, the screens are, are computer-generated. And, I mean, you're looking at the Memphis skyline. You're flying over the Mississippi. There's a little guy down there going, ooh, ooh. The, the truck's pulling you out. You're seeing FedEx planes. It's unbelievable. It's just like flying a plane. It's unbelievable. And the plane that we were in had this thingamajig. It's like, it's like a giant Google Glass for your face. And so when you're in the pilot's chair, uh, this thing goes in front of you. And it's like Minority Report, Mission Impossible, Tom Cruise. It's ex- extremely cool. It's, it's clear. You're staring through it. But it's got all this information on there, all this kind of kind of cool stuff, you know. And so as you're flying, it's got a dot in the middle. And you're a dot. So there's a fixed dot, and then you're a dot. And what you got to do is get your dot on the dot. And uh, that, that doesn't make flying seem very hard at, at, at that point, you know. But <laughs> it is, though. But so you're flying, and you're like, if I just get my dot on the dot, uh, once that happens, you know what you're doing? Flying with precision. Your altitude's right. Yeah, your, your, your level, your nose is the right way. You're not like plummeting toward the earth or anything. All you got to do is align your dot with the fixed dot. And that's what I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen. Consider Jesus. Make him the focus of your life. Put him at the very center. What you need to do, cooperating with the Holy Spirit of God, the God who saved you, the God who will keep you, in, the, in this life, in the middle, line your dot up with the living Christ because he's the fixed object of your faith. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you for these um, startling and wonderful and grand truths. They're just, they're just so overarching, uh, greater than human history and beyond um, this world, they're otherworldly. They rest in you, and we just thank you that you have loved sinners enough to save them and that the Lord Jesus uh, is the perfect apostle, the, the perfect priest, the perfect God-man, the perfect one to make intercession for us, and the perfect fixed point um, who we should keep in our gaze. Help us consider this Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.